Sagemont Church is a gathering of Christian believers in the southeast area of Houston, Texas. Today's message is from our senior pastor, Dr. John Morgan. And in it, we're going to read from the 12th chapter of the book of Luke. But before we read, I want to show you something. What I'm going to show you was sent to Brother Chuck first by Craig Kiefer, a new believer at Sagemont, one that he and Chuck went to college together. They were in the same fraternity. And through continued witness to Craig from Brother Chuck, uh, he came to know the Lord personally as his Savior, was baptized. He sent this to us. He sent it to Brother Chuck, and he forwarded it to me. I want to set it up for you. It's a story, a true story, of a four-year-old. A four-year-old that went to the mall, as a lot of four-year-olds and five-year-olds and six-year-olds will be doing. And in going to the mall, having come from a background where the little four-year-old had heard that Christmas is a time you celebrate Jesus, he'd learned that in Sunday school. But when he got to the mall, the little one looked around and he saw Santa Claus and he saw the children lined up to see Santa Claus, and he asked a very profound question. He asked the adult that was with him, where is the line to see Jesus? And it captivated the uncle who wrote a song, Where's the Line to See Jesus? This was in 2010. And... <clears throat> He wrote this song and sent it to Nashville, and very shortly thereafter, Nashville sent it back. So last year, there was some rewriting of it, and it was sent back to Nashville, and it came back just in time to go on YouTube a few days before Christmas, and 3,000 people watched it. This year, it is on again. And as of last week, 3,726,749 people have watched. What was started by a little boy who had the spiritual insight to ask a question. Where is the line to see Jesus? We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But I don't think anybody could set it up as good as this beautiful video. You watch. Where is the line to see Jesus? Amen. 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 Sometimes our children can ask some very thought-provoking questions. I'm grateful that there was persistence of two years to push and Finally, the breakthrough, and so many people are seeing that video. But that's a question today. Where is the line to see Jesus? I want to show you some things in the Scripture. I want you to think with me, because the Christmas story is so evolved of so many things we need to think about and look at, and this gives us a chance to do that. So I want you to stand as I read from the 12th chapter of the book of Luke. I want you to hear... In the beginning of this message, uh, a setting as you listen very carefully as to what is said. 
In the meantime, they were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another. And he began to say unto his disciples, First of all, beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever you have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light. That which you have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he has killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two farlings? And not one of them is forgotten by God. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. Ye are of more value than many sparrows. Also I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of heaven. And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. And when they bring you into the synagogues, into the magistrates, and powers, take ye no thought how or what you shall answer or what you shall say. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what you ought to say. And one of the company said unto, unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide his inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. May God bless the reading of his word, and would you be seated. All of us that have been around the Bible remember the Genesis account of creation. We remember how it started off in the beginning. There was God. He created the heavens and the earth. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit got together and said, let us make man in our own image. We remember the small group in the garden, Adam and Eve. We remember the snake. And then we see that Old Testament story as it progresses. On to those in Israel being led out of bondage and millions of people uh, in the stories how crowd numbers changed and how the events going on began to change. But I want to quickly get over to the New Testament with you this morning. And I want to try to recall back in your memory some of the stories that you probably remember as a child growing up about the life of Jesus. We remember how he was born in a manger. We remember the story there's no room for him at the inn. That always touches us when we see in a pageant or we hear it read there was no room for Jesus no one wanted to be involved in what was going on and then we remember the few shepherds and then the wise men and how that story progresses and how Jesus is not hardly mentioned at all during in fact during those early years of his life we find him talking to the doctors at the age of 12 in the temple 
and how the crowd, I mean, how those in intellectuals would question him and they realized he was unique and he was different. But little by little, the message began to spread. John the Baptist came. He came and he started preaching that there was going to be one come after him. And he began to preach a very hard message. He had one sermon. Whatever sermon you heard him preach, it was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so he began to foretell that there was coming one. And the people began to listen. And the nervous and the religious people began to get very, very nervous. Because here is a man coming that is preaching outside the box. He's talking outside the box. He's not talking about traditionalism. He's not talking about ritualism. He's not talking about the laws of the, of the church. But rather he's preaching a message of repentance. Because man has sinned and come short of the glory of God. When you look at how that message got out and then Jesus appears and he picks up the message. You remember he was baptized by John and as he began to start his very brief earthly ministry it was not long that people began to come hear him speak. They began to hear him talk as I have read excerpts. We began to hear that Sermon on the Mount that is so profoundly the greatest sermon that was ever preached. In Matthew chapter 14 and 15, we see those words again. The multitudes came. We read the story of 5,000 people stood in line to eat the food. Food can always draw people. Eating meetings, we call it today. You want to get a crowd at church, just feed them. And especially if it's free, and you can sure get them to come because people like to eat. But you remember as that story progressed, after the 5,000, now he leaves the 5,000. He goes out with his disciples. He puts them in a boat. He sends them across the uh, sea, and he goes alone to pray. Notice how the scene changes. And then there's a, a tempestuous storm comes up. And you remember Jesus comes back to the side of the sea, and there he looks out, and Peter is in the boat. That rambunctious Peter, the impulsive Peter, the man that had a whole lot of trouble anytime he got away from the presence of God. But he looks over, scared to death, and this fisherman realizes the danger that he's in, and he sees Jesus walking on the water. You remember how he gets out, and he comes and worships him, and he experiences God. And in Matthew 14, here's what he says about Jesus. He says, truly, you are the Son of of God. In that very private meeting, he gives a profound statement. People came to Jesus when they were hungry. They also came to Jesus in great multitudes when they were sick. All through the Bible, there are stories of great lines forming to see Jesus. When he can heal this earthly body of its disease infections. And people would come. They wanted to be healed. In Matthew 15, 30, it says, And great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame and blind and dumb and maimed and many others. And they cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. Insomuch 
that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to be whole, the lame to walk, the blind to see, but they glorified the God of Israel. You go on in reading in the New Testament. Not only did feeding services bring people, not only did healing services bring people, but whenever people found themselves under attack from Satan, when all of a sudden those things that they thought would never happen to them began to happen and to those around them, that those that were demon-possessed under Satan's attack, they would begin to turn toward Jesus. In that 15th chapter of Matthew, in the 21st verse, it says, Then Jesus went from there, departed to the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried out unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came, besought him, saying, Send her away. She cries after us. But he answered and said, I'm not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It's not right to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it unto you even as you will. And her daughter was made whole that very hour. Throughout Scripture you will find other accounts of where when there was sin, the activity of sin, the woman caught in the very act of adultery. We find situations where people would gather to see how does God deal with the hungry? How does God deal with the sick? How does God deal with those that are infested with sin? And it calls a lot of attention. And oh yes, they liked to party party in those days. You remember the first miracle was at Canaan of Galilee, the wedding feast. They ran out of wine. You remember Jesus, though, goes apart. And he says, now bring me the water bottles. He didn't go over where the water bottles are. He said, bring them to me. He touches them, and he turns them into wine. And all the people that were there, and there were great numbers of people, Matthew 21, verses 8 and 9. It says, a very great multitude spreads their garments in the way. Others cast down branches, and from the trees... And they began to spread them on the way. What in the world is that talking about? Why is there a crowd now? Now we're going to celebrate Jesus. He's coming to town. Wow, we're going to, we're going to wave the palms. We're going to do all this kind of stuff. We're just hours away from a cross. And there's still great numbers of people. Here's what I want you to get real quickly. Where are the lines from Jesus? Where are they? Well, whenever I can get one of my, could I use a political word, entitlements. When I can get some food, when I can get some medical treatment, when I can get to be a part of the party group and the in crowd, then I will come. I will get out there and oh, where there is sin and people are struggling and all. I always like to see a miracle. I always like to see that magic kind of stuff. And always the crowds, always the crowd. Remember the question of the little boy, where is the line to see Jesus? I've just showed you some of those lines. Those things that appeal to us because we feel like we're entitled 
to salvation. We feel like that we're entitled to those kind of things. And as long as there's entertainment, as long as there's celebration, as long as there's miracles, as long as people are being healed, oh, we will come, we will come. But where are the lines in other situations? God began to call out some people. After making Adam and Eve, you remember those stories as in the Old Testament of Abel, Noah, Abraham, Moses, Sarah, Isaac, Rebekah, David, Jacob, and the line goes on and on and on of individuals. There always is, folks, as you will see in Scripture, there always is a time when the crowd is separated from the real. There are those things that people will not tolerate, then nor now. When they feel like they are not getting what they want, it's almost like going to Santa Claus and him not giving you what you told him to give you when you sat on his knee. So you make a covenant, I will not go back and sit on his knee ever again. He doesn't produce what he asks. God has a story for us at Christmas. He's got a story for us that he doesn't want us to miss. Because if you miss this story, there will come a time when if you're one of those people that gets so caught up in the way culture is going, in the way the crowds are going, in the things that are attracting people, when you get caught up in that, as we approach the coming of the Lord, you're going to find out that the lines get closer, I mean shorter and shorter, and the crowd gets smaller and smaller when the real thing rises to the surface. People sit back. Is he the chosen one? Just like people vote, who's going to get it to me? I know what I want and I've got to decide who's going to give it to me. That's the way people are about religion. That's the way people are about Jesus. Jesus, don't you let me down. If you do, I'm out of here. I'm out of the line. You are not going to get me to worship you. You're not going to give me, you're not going to get me to leave my old ways and follow you. You're not going to do that. Now I'll go with you as long as you will tolerate that. As long as you won't talk about my sin, then I will just enjoy. Well, think about that morning. Or think about the stable that night. Think about what began to happen. There could have been a song written, Where's the line for Jesus at the stable? There's a lot of times along the way that that song title could have been used. But Jesus did not draw attention to himself when he was young. He did not draw attention to himself until he came to that point where he fulfilled the purpose for what the Father sent him. Now when he did that, he drew a line in the sand. And when he drew a line in the sand, the line started getting smaller and smaller. In Matthew 2, 3, it says, When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled. And all of Jerusalem with him. Oh, we didn't understand we thought you had come to do what we want you to do, and you're not doing what we want you to do. And they were troubled, very troubled, very troubled. You remember 
how John the Baptist, when he gave those words, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This man was wearing camel hair, eating grasshoppers, and drinking wild honey, and scaring people to death. His ministry didn't last very long, but he said there's another one coming. Whew. I'm sure glad, because we've had about up to here with you, John the Baptist. And here comes Jesus. And guess what? He picks up where John the Baptist left off, and he hadn't started, hadn't stopped till right now. I want you to know today that God is not looking for a line. Jesus is not looking for a line that's following him because they feel like that he's got something for them that they can add with what they already have to just have the greatest time on earth that you can imagine. That's not the gospel. That is not the gospel. Jesus went to the Jordan River. He was baptized. Boy, that made Satan mad. What happened? As soon as he was baptized, what happened? He goes out on the mountain. Who meets him? Satan. He says, look, I thought my religious people could take care of this, but obviously they've dropped the ball. And so Satan comes face to face with Jesus, tempts him three times. Three times Jesus takes the scripture and puts it right back in his face. And Satan takes off. He said, it's pretty obvious this man's not looking for a crowd. No, he's not looking for a crowd, folks, because he knows the rest of the story. As I will close in just a moment, the Bible says, narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life, and few there are that find it. But broad is the way that leads to eternal destruction, and many go therein. As people sit back trying to catch up on the next fad, church is never going to be a fad. The real church will never be a fad. It will draw people from every continent. It will draw the young, the old, people of every background. But when it comes time to talk sacrifice, to talk giving instead of receiving, when it talks to laying down your life and serving the Lord, now the question is asked, where's the line to see Jesus? Jesus picked up Andrew. He goes, gets his brother Peter. You remember James and his brother John, still not much of a crowd. Galilee, Decapolis, Judea, Jerusalem. Jesus opens his mouth and they come back again because he is quite a speaker. But he made one mistake in his outline. Every time he'd get up to speak, he'd talk about sin. And people were shouting, turning flips and saying, I'm going to go get my friends. This is the greatest thing I've ever heard. And then he'll bring up words like repent, sin. If you don't repent, there's going to be a problem. Here's what the multitude said in Matthew 7, verse 28. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings that people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. They were astonished. What were they astonished about? Truth. Jesus said, I'm going to tell you the truth and it's going to set you free. But people that have never heard the truth, first of all, a lot of them don't recognize truth when they hear it. 
But they just continue to go on in their same old ways. Beth and I watched, I've been talking to some of our security people this morning. Beth and I watched a two-hour program this week of some of the most lucrative contracted athletes that this world has ever produced that are now totally bankrupt and every single one of them because of S-I-N, sin in their life. Their marriages are gone, their health is gone, their money is gone, their, their fame is gone, their influence is gone. Many of them are in the penitentiary, some of them are dead, and the list goes on and on. And yet here comes another generation that wants to make it bigger and better and legalize the stuff that destroyed those kind of people. And states go to the poll and vote to do that stuff and expect different consequences in the future. I'm here to tell you, folks, the line for Jesus isn't very long. And if you're looking to find a crowd that you can get, up, get in on, and by the way, I must acknowledge to you, there is pleasure in sin for a season. That's Bible. For a season. I will tell you this, season's not very long. Not very long. All of us ought to be shocked as to what Jesus said. The, re the religious establishment could not handle it. And people today cannot handle it. They cannot handle it so much many preachers have made a commitment not to ever talk about sin when you come to hear them preach. Why? Because that doesn't draw crowds. But what draws crowds is God is good, times are bad, and just think positive, and God loves you, and just go do whatever you want to. Matthew 7, 13 says, Enter into the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there are that go in by it. Look at what he says again in the 21st verse of Matthew 7. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he that does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? In your name cast out devils? In your name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. You notice what God said to the line? Don't stand in line. Because when you get up here to your spiritual Santa Claus, he's going to tell you, I'm not bringing you what you want. Because you refuse to obey my simple instructions. Acknowledge your sin, confess it, repent of it, and receive the gift of eternal life. As a matter of fact, there were many, and this is, this is scary, there were many of those who were in the inner circle of the Lord that when they heard and thought about what it means to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him, they made a tragic decision. Listen to John 6, 59. These things he said in the synagogues as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said unto them, listen to what he says to his disciples, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who, who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, he says, are spirit and they are life. 
but there's some of you. Talking to the religious people, but there's some of you who don't believe. For Jesus, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore, listen to this, have said to you that no one can come to me unless it's been granted to him by the Father. And here's the sentence. From that time, many of his disciples went back. Went back where? Went back to where the lion was. Went back and walked with him no more. Can you imagine such a thing? You say, I just can't imagine. All you got to do is just look around in your world. All you have to do is just look around. There's something about the power of this world. It's hard for a man to turn loose of the things of this world. All of these athletes, having seen all of their peers lose, won $470 million, many of them in the hundreds of millions, absolutely bankrupt. And here come all the young guys doing exactly the same thing thing and expecting something different to happen and they'll all be cast into the same pool bankrupt broke no family no wife no children no people come now because I'm not putting out the money anymore those days are over all about silver and gold and God says by grace I'll give you streets of gold gates of pearls walls of jasper no good thing will I withhold for you I have you a mansion those athletes, many of them said they didn't know such a thing as the IRS. Can you imagine such a thing? Never heard of it. They built $40 million houses, and the government just sits back and says, just keep that for about three more years. Let's let the penalties and interest pile up, and guess who's going to own your little $40 million mansion when you find out that there is an internal revenue service and that there are people in this country that have to pay income tax. And they wake up. And everybody else says, but I'm going to be just like them. They're my hero. I'm going to wear their T-shirts. I'm going to wear their hats. I just want everybody to know I got their card. I got their picture on the wall of my bedroom. These are my heroes. Well, where's the line for Jesus? Whenever we read these serious statements, like in John 6, 67, where Jesus responds when those disciples walk out, here's what he says to the rest of them. John 6, 67. 6, 67. Verse 67. Then said Jesus to the inner twelve, Will you also go away? You say, I just can't believe he said that to those twelve people. They went through so much. Hold on a minute. What's the question? Will any one of you twelve go away? What's the answer to that? What was his name? Judas. See, doesn't matter how inner circle you are. The question is, people just want to jump back in out of the line again. That's headed to destruction. And the Lord says, come unto me all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. No, the line to Jesus is not very long. Again, Matthew 7, 13, enter you by the narrow gate, for wide is a gate, and Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many go in by it. We go on as I close. 2 Timothy 3.1 sort of brings us 
up to the moment where the line for Jesus. 2 Timothy 3.1, listen carefully. After the reading of the scripture, I will be through. But know this, Paul says to young Timothy, in the last days, perilous times are going to come. For men will be lovers of themselves. They'll be lovers of money. They'll be boasters. They'll be proud. They'll be blasphemers. They'll be disobedient to their parents. They'll be unthankful. They'll be unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. I wonder who he was talking about. I just can't imagine a day coming like that. Can you? Do you think you'll live long enough to see those kind of things when children won't obey their parents? Can you imagine? I just can't think that would happen. Not if all daddies were like my daddy, they wouldn't. <laughs> lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Lovers of money. Won't people see how much money they have? Well, here's the solution. Quit looking for the line and start looking for Jesus. In Jesus is all of the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Quit looking as to where the crowd is. Start looking where Jesus is. And you know what he says? Lo, I'll be with you always, even unto the end of the age. John 1.37 says, And the two disciples heard him speak, too, and they followed Jesus. John 12, 26, if any man serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serves me, him will my father honor. The crowds can take you to Jesus, but they can also keep you away from Jesus. Be careful who your friends are. But I want you to note that standing somewhere in the shadows, you can find Jesus today. Right now, we will illustrate the message very clearly. It's like every other day in my life. There are thousands of people here today. We're fixing to give an invitation. We're going to open a door. We're going to open a door where anybody here that's not received their gift of eternal life, and you don't put it on MasterCard, Visa, you don't have to call and see if you've got anything left on your line of credit before you go in here. It is absolutely free. Money can't buy it. Death cannot take it away from you. It's called salvation by grace through faith. It is available to whosoever will in a little room back here off of the foyer. It's called the Connection Center. Every time I preach or Stuart preaches or Chuck or Wade or anyone else preaches in this pulpit, that door opens up and whosoever will may come. Oh, there won't be many there. You say, I'm, not, I'm sure I'm afraid to be crowded. Don't you worry. There'll be plenty of room. Lines don't form there. But everyone that's ever come in has gone away rejoicing. Every one of them have been greatly changed by the power of God, but they're few. Always will be, because God said so. But you have that chance. I want you to just stand with me. If you're here on the campus, stay for, if you haven't gone to Bible study this morning, we start our Bible studies at eight, but we're gonna have another huge group that'll meet now after this service. If you haven't been to Bible study, 
Let us get you in one of our wonderful Bible study uh, classes. We have so many incredible teachers here that'll just open up the Word and you will be with some folks there of all size groups, small groups, large groups, but all of them seeking to know what does God's Word say. If you'll go out to the information booth, they'll very quickly help you. Or come over to our hospitality room. And that's where I'm fixing to go. And I will have some people with me that can help you. And that room is under this terrace over here to my left. Go out in the foyer, turn to the left. And look, the first room on the left is our hospitality room. I want to meet you if you're a first-time guest. So stop by. If you'd like to stay for Bible study, we certainly will get you into a wonderful, wonderful place. Now, in the meantime, clear your calendar at either 2, 4, or 6 on Christmas Eve. Number two, make sure that you understand that we're wanting to get the gospel to the world. We want the gospel to go to people where there's not one person, not one in the line to see Jesus because they haven't ever heard about Jesus. And so we're receiving our Christmas mission offering of which every penny of it goes to help the message get to the uttermost parts of the earth. So when your Christmas list, don't bump somebody, but put Jesus at the top and say, before I do anything else, I am going to give a gift in the way God wants me to give it, and that is to tell the world that there's room at the cross for them. The line's not long, but the consequences of not coming to Jesus are eternal. So as we sing, you can go to the Connection Center. We'll sing only one verse. If you want to wait till this song is over, then you can go to the Hospitality Room or the Connection Center. Connection Center this way, Hospitality Room over here, then you come. All right, let's sing. Brother Bill, lead us. We pray that today's message has brought you to a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. at Sagemont Church in the Worship Auditorium. For more information, check us out at www.sagemontchurch.org.